We are living in times when there is a lot of stress in our world. This news that I heard for the first time this morning is part of that. I think when our society is going through stress and anxiety, we search for ways to understand what's happening around us and what we need to do to make our towns and cities truly good places to live for everyone. We're going through our biennial ritual of elections, and that's a hard process for us, and not a very pretty one in many ways. And when we select a president every four years, then the energy level really gets cranked up, and the high stress level in the land is almost impossible not to notice. We are believers in democracy in our country, like in Amy's story, but democracy is not always an inspiring sight. Democracy is not always a beautiful thing to look at and say, isn't this wonderful that we practice democracy? Isn't it almost perfect? It really is, I think, a serious question whether this is a good way to run a country or to make a decision about what game to play. Is this really the great path? Could it be that maybe there's a better way to do things? It, it, it seems like there ought to be a better way than what we see every day. One of the most famous philosophers of all time, the Greek philosopher Plato, is interesting in that he believed that there was a better way to organize human affairs than democracy. And he lays out this alternative in a famous book that you've almost undoubtedly heard of called The Republic. This book is not very widely read these days. It's not like everybody's read it unless you happen to take a philosophy class or political science class. But I just happened to go to a college where everybody had to read The Republic. So I did read the whole dang thing all the way through. But it was many years ago, and I wasn't that great a student at the time, actually, to be honest. But I do want to share with you today uh, Plato's critique of democracy and why he thinks it's not that great and not necessarily the best form of government. I'm not saying that we have to accept his ideas. We're Unitarian Universalists, right? We can, we can think for ourselves, and you can certainly think for yourself. But I want to go over this critique. And it's especially ironic that Plato should critique democracy since he lived in ancient Athens, which is one of the places where democracy evolved in the world. So it's especially interesting that he wasn't that excited about it. So why would this great philosopher Plato, living in one of the birthplaces of democracy, have a problem with this form of government? Isn't democracy the greatest system ever invented? That's what I learned in school. Isn't it all about freedom and justice for everyone? And actually, democracy is one of our Unitarian Universalist principles, one of our seven principles that we acknowledge as an ideal that we strive for in our congregations and try to promote in the world. 
What could possibly be wrong with this perfect ideal of democracy? Well, one way to answer that question is to go home and turn on the news. <laughs> so that's one way you could answer that question. Just go home and turn on the news and watch that for a couple hours. And that may give us all pause. Well, I don't know if that's a very appealing idea. So let me tell you another way we could answer that question. I want to share with you Plato's critique and the form of government uh, that he suggests. Not because I think you need to accept that, but I think it's interesting, you know, when there are times of chaos and stress, it's good to try to see if there's a wider view to take. Rather, you know, so that we're not just totally overwhelmed in the moment. Uh, Plato argues through the voice of his teacher Socrates that the central idea of democracy is freedom. That sounds great. I'm in favor of that all the way. But Plato argues that the government by the people, which is the demo part of democracy, the government by the demos, is always in danger of turning into an angry mob. This is part of his argument. The angry mob, he says, comes about because the less wealthy and affluent people are in fear of the wealthy few, the oligarchy, the people who hold most of the power and the wealth. And they are fearful that this group of few people will take over the country and destroy any role whatsoever of the common people. And so they become frustrated and fearful and anxious about this possibility of the wealthy few taking over. And in the midst of this atmosphere of fear and anger, Plato says, the time is ripe for a clever demagogue who can get the people to back him against the oligarchy, and then this demagogue, having aroused the people, can convert the democracy into a tyranny. So this is Plato's argument, that democracy is easily converted into tyranny by someone using the fears and frustrations and upsets of the people to get power. What kind of person would be capable of creating this transformation from democracy to tyranny? Plato says that this tyranny, he calls him a man, so I'm going to use the word man because it, this is, I might not even use the word man, it could be anyone. This tyrannical person, according to Plato, is a person who has no discipline, no inner sense of a guide in life, and this person is driven by their most base desires and passions which overwhelm their reason. So it's a person who acts on desires, whatever that person may want. Plato says they are driven by lust, and they use fraud and force to take whatever they want. They take whatever they want. If they see something and they want it, they have no moral discipline that would tell them not to do that, and so they just take it. 
whether it would be riches or power or maybe sex or whatever. They see something and they just take it. That's the nature of that type of person. Using fraud and force to take whatever they want. Plato says that this person is the most unhappy kind of person. Because this life is not a fulfilling life. And because the higher self, which is concerned with justice and what is truly good in life, is not developed in such a person. And so that person is really an unhappy person. So, such a demagogue, using the fear and frustration of the people and their concern about a few people taking over, the wealthy few, create what he calls an angry mob, and they take over the government. And Plato says that this is what often happens with democracies. And that's one of the big reasons he doesn't think democracy works. When that happens, then, according to Plato, the people will become enslaved to the tyrant and there will be both injustice and wars because the tyrant is a war-inclined person due to this tendency to just grab anything that looks desirable. And so as the tyrant seeks to pursue their passions and desires, they take over the people. And democracy no longer exists. It has become tyranny. So that's what Plato thinks is so likely to happen in a democracy, and that it's a weakness in the system, according to him. So what is Plato's cure, then, for this dead-end prospect of democracy? And I'll tell you what he recommends, but I don't know that you will necessarily like this answer, but it's, certainly it's good to know what he says. Plato envisions a totally different kind of state that is known as the Republic. And this state is governed by a certain class of people known as the Guardians. So it's a group of people who are going to govern. And these guardians are raised from birth to become wise and just rulers. Plato says that their primary education until age 18 should center around the four virtues, which he says are wisdom, courage, justice, and temperance. Their education is going to center around that and gymnastics. Gymnastics. So there should be a development of mind, body, and spirit in these young people. These guardians are both male and female in Plato's system. So the men and women are equally involved in this, and they live together communally with no personal property. They don't even identify with parents or family. They hold everything in common, including the children are not identified with particular families. When they're 18, they do two years of military service, followed by 10 years of mathematics and five years of dialectical training, which is 
the art of philosophizing with questions and answers like Plato does in his dialogue. And then at age 35, they become sort of lower level leaders after going through this program. And they do that for 15 years until age 50, and at 50 they become guardians, they become rulers of the state. Perhaps something like our Congress. No, wait, that's not a good analogy. I didn't mean that. They are highly principled, unselfish, and wise leaders. They are not elected, ever. They are selected. There are no elections in the Republic. They are selected for this role, and they're formed throughout their lives to take on this role, which is known in popular uh, language as the philosopher king. And it is this aspect of the Republic that has been criticized over the centuries. And by the way, this is, I'm being criminally superficial. I might get arrested at any moment for not doing this book justice. Who will select the guardians? Who gets to decide who is a guardian and who is a farmer? That is a problem because there, there's no will of the people. There's only the guardians. Plato responds to this question by telling what he calls a noble lie. A noble lie. The noble lie that Plato proposes is that there are different levels of people, different kinds of people. And there's a mythological story to go with this, that people were born with different metals in them. And the different metals are gold, silver, bronze, and iron. And so the highest level of people are the gold people, and they're the guardians. And then the silver are the military people, and then you go down to the bronze and the iron, who, people who do the work and uh, till the soil and make things that need to be made. In effect, it's a caste system. It's a caste system that he creates. And this aspect of his ideal state has been widely criticized. To many, it seems like another form of oppression. And even if the guardians are raised to be unselfish and wise, we all know that human nature is complex and corruptible and not pretty all the time. There will be power struggles, even in Plato's ideal state, and some have even said that the myth of different kinds of people could easily lead to extreme forms of oppression. Because certain people are grouped according to some standard of their worth. And so many people feel like that's a dangerous thing to do and who has a right to do that? Who gives the guardians the right to make those kinds of decisions? So Plato's Republic is not the ideal for very many contemporary thinkers. And some thinkers say that it could lead, it, it's, it can be used, like ideas can be used for all kinds of weird things. It could be used to justify slavery. Or it could be used to justify oppression of a certain religion or, or the Holocaust. It, so it's not, there are not very many people out there holding up the sign out there on university saying, Plato's Republic. 
in our part of the world, democracy is still viewed as, it seems, the best form of government, at least in much of the world. And yet, Plato's critique is not to be overlooked that the fear and anger of people who feel they do not have a full stake in the nation and feel they are at the mercy of a few who hold power and are wealthy and that their rights are not really to their benefit. It's not happening as it should be happening. That when there is that much fear and anger, then Plato says there is a moment when tyranny can take over the state. And that there will be people who will try to do that. Because there are people motivated by those kinds of I want this and I'm going to take it mindset. The French Revolution is perhaps an interesting example of this with an idealistic democratic revolution became a reign of terror where no one was safe. And then the thing that brought that out of chaos was being restored to the absolute power of an emperor who reigned in whatever way he wanted to do as democracy was lost, at least for that period of French history. Could such a thing happen in America? I will let you ponder that question. But it seems to me that the cure for democracy is, is probably not Plato's Republic because of its affirmation of inequality at the very basis of its organization rather than equality. And so I think for most of us that's not attractive and doesn't seem like justice. Francis Moore LePay once wrote, the cure for democracy is more democracy. The cure for democracy is more democracy. The way to save democracy is to become more democratic, according to Francis Morlapay, to truly live out the ideals and promises of a government of the people, for the people, by the people, so that the people do not fear a rising oligarchy that absconds with the wealth of the country. To save itself from falling into tyranny Democracy must live out its ideals. It must be what it says it is. A place where every person has equality and freedom and opportunity and a fair way of living and hope for the future and is treated with respect and dignity that democracy, if it wants to survive the threat of tyranny, has to do those things. Plato is right, I believe, to argue that the best leaders are unselfish. They're not governed by their own lust for power. They genuinely care about justice and they work tirelessly for the common good. 
They take the high road and they don't get caught up in senseless squabbles and personal vendettas. The best leaders will always be people who are not primarily ego-driven, but live their lives in service to a higher good. Whether that higher good is identified religiously, perhaps, or identified in a totally secular way, as it could easily be as well. This does not mean that our leaders are not worldly and sharp about what's going on in the world, but that they must be people devoted to justice, to equality, and human rights. They must be like that. We have had leaders like that in our history. And not everyone agrees necessarily about who they were, but I think Abraham Lincoln is on that list. I think Martin Luther King is on that list. There are people who have lived that way in our world. And since the other person who comes to my mind is indeed not running for any office, I will say as a personal opinion that I believe the present occupant of the White House has many of those characteristics. I heard a conservative commentator, by the way, one day about six months ago when the election was starting to get really frantic. It was a conservative Republican who said, I'm going to miss Obama. Anyway, Reverend William Barber, who is the founder of a movement called the Moral Monday Movement in North Carolina. I know some of you have heard of that. They've been marching there for a couple years for human rights and civil rights and equality before the law and equal justice. Reverend William Barber, who we heard speak at General Assembly, said we need a moral revolution in our country. We need to commit ourselves, if we want to be democratic, we have to commit ourselves to the ideals of democracy. That's what will save it. These ideals are not being implemented with sufficient depth in our country to create a sense of well-being and peace. And our country will never flourish until that happens. And I place my commitment with Reverend Barber who says we need a moral revolution of equality for everyone, equality before the law without which no society can be called just. It's an absolute minimum requirement to have equality before the law. Just a nice beginning We need to embrace and expand the foundational right to vote in our country. Absolutely democracy 101. Not an advanced course. We need to reform our systems of taxation and business practices in our country so that a small oligarchy does not enjoy almost all the wealth. We could have a whole lot more economic justice and the wealthy people would all still be wealthy. They wouldn't even notice it. 
It would just be a minor blip in the curve. Plato says, if those people just get angrier, then the country is ripe for a tyranny. A pretty insightful guy. We need to choose leaders then who are not driven by personal aggrandizement, but genuinely feel a call to serve the people and to serve all the people equally and fairly and to bring the blessings of our great land to everyone. If we do those things, the angry people will leave the streets and go home and make dinner and sit out on the porch and maybe sing some songs. The children will be safe in their neighborhoods. They will go out and walk to the park without being worried and they will play in the park and they will be safe. And the homeless will be fed and sheltered and will not be in perpetual danger of survival. And everyone will have a true opportunity to live a good life. Everyone. Then our democracy will truly be a place that shines and is a light to the world.